0: Tony Rodriguez is a secret space program witness. He has spent time on the moon, Mars, and Ceres, and he has written a new book about some experiences that he recalls that covered a 10 year period during the middle of his 20 and back program, where he got to spend time in a star maker project. You're listening to ExoPolitics Today, with Dr. Michael Sala, your source for the uncensored truth regarding the human, extraterrestrial, global and political agenda. Click the like button and subscribe to this channel. And now, here's Dr. Michael Sala. Well, welcome back, Tony, to ExoPolitics Today.
1: Thanks for having me, Uh, Dr. Sala. It's great to be here. It's been far too long.
0: Yeah, you've uh, been doing uh, some very interesting work recently. And uh, I know your book, Ceres Colony Cavalier, really, I mean, it was a bestseller and really kind of like has given you a lot of attention. But you also went out into the field to kind of like validate your experiences. So you want to share what what you've been doing to, to validate the experiences that you describe in Ceres Colony Cavalier.
1: Absolutely. Um, And it's ongoing. So it's not something that I researched years ago and ran out of material. Uh, I keep finding new evidence. So the more I look for it, the more I'm finding evidence. Recently, um, we found the plane in Peru that is described, the C-46 commando. It's something that I went on record, I believe, as early as when I um, was filming with you. I know it was very soon in my memory recall that I... Uh, recalled that it was a c46 commando and i'd been looking up the plane it's a unique plane cargo plane that we had been using in peru and about five months ago i did uh an interview for a spanish-speaking uh ufology channel and there were peruvian pilots uh that saw the interview and they wanted to they wanted to speak with me directly so we set up a, a zoom call and um we started talking, and I asked them throughout, and we had to have a translator, though, so they spoke Spanish. These were guys that were in the Peruvian Air Force, one of them for almost 30 years. Uh, and He's still active, still flying. And I said, uh, in the middle of talking, I asked, um, what do you know about a C-46 commando that the Narcos used? And he said, oh, the commando, he said, that's in where, he said, "That's in Pucalpa. And he, real quick, uh, just matter of factly, he said that he was involved in... Working with the Air Force in the war on drugs in 1990, and they had did a raid on the narco's that had planes based in a place, Puerto Maldonado, which is the, I believe it's 17 miles or maybe more than that, 30 miles, uh, east of where I was staying when I was in Peru during my 20 and back. And so they were storing the plane there. And he said we confiscated it in 1990 from the narco's in the war on drugs, and they were going. Uh, you know, in the early 90s, they were going to these towns that were that were known for shipping cocaine, among other drugs, out of Peru, and they would uh, blow up the runway and confiscate all their equipment. So that was the war on drugs in the early 90s. Everybody remembers it. Anyhow, I went and immediately looked, and in Pucallpa, on the, at the bottom south end of the public runways where they keep these planes, and sure enough, the plane that I remember and that I described was there, is currently there, as far as I know. And uh, about two weeks later, one of the guys in the in the um, Zoom call was able to go there physically and get pictures of the plane directly. And uh, so it's something that I, it's something that's another element of my testimony that I called out years ago, six years ago, um, that was confirmed only recently so that that plane is there. And there are other things that we're doing. Um, nowadays i think the entire subject matter is very convoluted there are people that are coming out there is a lot of um there's a lot of attacking going on and so in order to respond not directly to people that have attacked my testimony directly i've only just uh not responded to them directly but just went back and revisited my own uh testimony my own evidences and so that i can just present so people attack me and say tony you know for whatever reason, and uh, I don't believe you, I can say, well, that's great, but you have to explain this away. You have to explain the fact that I know my way around Peru very well, and I've never been there. And along with Seattle and annual Kern and series and other events that overlap greatly with other testimonies. So I'm just polishing my own testimony rather than jumping into the fray because we're really seeing a concerted effort to um, greatly dissipate the information of the secret space program or the programs that are going on and the fact that we have infrastructure in the solar system and uh, world corporations and governments currently working in space. And so we're really seeing an effort to to disguise the information that we've uncovered and y- that you've uncovered on your channel over the last seven or eight years.
0: Well, that is very important because I know that uh, the intelligence community are trying to muddy the waters, putting out a lot of contradictory information, getting their assets to to muddy the waters. And, you know, we know that they do that because there was one of the documents that was released by Edward Snowden uh, showed that the NSA was working with uh, Britain's GCHQ and the other five Eyes intelligence uh, agencies to... Uh, conduct covert deception to conduct online covert deception programs and some of those dealt with UFOs so you know there's a document that actually shows that this is going on so it's very important that we do make the effort to validate our Mm -hmm. testimonies people who have had these experiences and and you know that's something to your credit that you have made that effort I mean, clearly, you know, trying to prove that you were on Ceres or you were on Mars or on the moon, you know, that's always going to be difficult. But, you know, that, that you were first for five years, you were uh, first in Peru and then in Washington State, you know, used as a slave, exploited. Those are things that you can show, you can prove, and and you've made progress in that. I, I And this, that's wonderful that you've been able to track down some Peruvian pilots that, corroborate the, the plane that you, uh, exp- that you were taken on when you were doing the uh, drug smuggling uh, with the uh, cartels there in Peru?
1: Um, I just want to say that there may be other evidence forthcoming that I just don't want to share. We st- I'm still in the process of working. In the beginning, I was just trying to get my story heard. I just wanted to tell my story and kind of support others that were out at the time, you know, we're talking 2016, I was just trying to tell my story. And so to support other people, to show overlap and uh, that these, that, and also emphasize that the treatment that I got and the things that I witnessed do happen. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, so we really picked the low hanging fruit as far as presenting the evidence. So now, now that we've seen a really ramping up and, um, a lack of others. Uh, also, I thought there'd be hundreds of people like me by now talking publicly, and uh, just a lack of other uh, very linear testimonies like mine, uh, other books like mine coming out. So because of that and because of the attacks, so I'm just, just revisiting it all and really trying to go back and, and with a fine comb and go through all my evidence. And it's my form of defending myself.
0: Well, your, your testimony, and your experiences for that 20 year and back is is kind of like pretty unique. I mean, there are a few others that have had similar experiences, but for that entire 20 year period, I mean, you were used as a slave uh, as punishment for this kind of like childhood incident involving one of your classmates. And, and so, you know, you, your experiences give us an insight into how people are forcibly taken or sometimes tricked into joining one of these secret space programs and uh, they essentially are used as slaves and they're just exploited and treated horribly so your your experiences give us a good idea as to the extent and and how this is done so it's very important um especially as we enter into a new era where there's just greater transparency and accountability that, that we want to make sure that people who have been caught up or treated in this abysmal way in these secret space programs, that they're given you know their their chance for freedom, of course, but also um, you know, some some kind of reconciliation or justice.
1: Um, you know, in the beginning, I was really just wanted to get it all off my chest. i never really had a great deal, you know, when I lived through it, the at the early ages after i was taken i was i had a a great deal of anger i was an angry kid Um, but now it wasn't like that my testimony wasn't based on a place of revenge i think that the secrecy is how they've gotten away with the criminality of it all and so i think just sharing it is all of the justice we need like to move past it we have to identify that a problem exists and my testimony did that Uh, so that's i I really i really wouldn't want (laughs) you know, and it's hard to say this, you know, in front of a camera and about a lot of people, but I wouldn't want the the wheels of justice to stop up disclosure for everybody. And I think just letting people know that it can be abused in this way and that um, it did happen, that there are great crimes that go on. Shining a light on it is um, really what it needs just to raise the temperature and and the awareness of it and it, then it will suddenly not make sense so people have been doing this behind closed doors and without any kind of repercussion so i don't feel that they uh you know i'm not angry that's what i'm saying i i feel just speaking about it and letting the truth out will prevent it from happening. It, 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 people if they weren't behind closed doors if they were on a stage they'd be too embarrassed for the treatment of other human beings that they've done to do it again for it to continue so just speaking about it and sharing the information i think is uh, my, my main goal, so.
0: Well, it's, it's very interesting because, in in a way, people look at slavery as kind of like this at- at- atavistic event that it happened centuries ago, you know, slavery was uh, part of the colonial system, but yeah, we became enlightened, and now we're kind of like in this industrial and moving into a post-industrial society, and, and slave, slavery is a thing of the past, but w- what we've learned through a number of people's testimony, is that slavery uh, was exported into space, and that it that it really just uh, has been conducted out there and is is quite extensive, and that there's uh, extraterrestrial civilizations that uh, trade slaves, and that you know that's a big part of their economy. So, you know, how do you deal with that?
1: Well. Um... I don't have the numbers in front of me but I've seen recent numbers that suggest that there are more slaves in the world today without without adding the extra any extraterrestrial component than in industry today there are more slaves globally than there ever have been alive so slavery is alive and well I, when I did my talk last year at the GIC conference uh, last October I I did have some numbers and it was I believe uh, 6 in 6 and 1000 uh, it was somewhere around there 5.9 so six people out of every thousand on the planet are slaves currently living in slavery. So it's not a problem that we solved. We did not enlighten past it. And it's alive and well in corporations where they can get away with it. Like I said, places that they can hide it behind closed doors and not be publicly embarrassed for, for, for owning slaves, it's happening. And uh, specifically in the uh, lithium battery business. So that's what we're hearing is that's the main driver of slavery today is the mining of the lithium and cobalt uh, if i'm not mistaken and so that carries on it's just there's a form of logic about it and i personally had to reconcile my feelings and what i'd gone through and researched it i researched a lot of things that were ugly about my testimony so in order to understand what happened to me and why and um you know the the sra the abuse the 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 human sacrifice. There were things that they did that were terrible, and I understood, and I can't understand, get my head around because I'm a, as a logic person, as a father, um, and as just as a human, I couldn't get my head around how people could do that. But when you look at the history of how we got here, um, there's a form of logic, and there's a process that led to it. And I believe that slavery, in the long run, is will be self-defeating, and will be phased out uh, just as a matter of logic. So there's only. There's only so long that a society can get away with it before it's detrimental to their home to the health of them before it before it, um, you know, they're they're eating their self. It's an it's an entity that's eating itself, basically. So slavery in the long run over the course of a very long play isn't going to work.
0: Yes, we need to bring transparency into it and cast throw the light. Into all of these different projects uh, on space or on Earth, you know, where people are being abused. So, uh, you know, you you have some important experiences um, during your uh, 20 and back. And we, we know you described in your first book, Series Colony Cavalier, you know, the two main periods, you know, the first seven years that you were on Earth, um, whether it was Peru, Washington, being used as a slave. And then you spent Roughly 13 years uh, in quick succession on the Moon, Mars, and Ceres. The Ceres was the bulk of that, and, and you were uh, again exploited as a as a slave. So, uh, this book, new book, Project Starmaker, really takes us into uh, this something that happened during your time on Ceres. So. Uh, you, you you want to tell us, you know, what, what was it that made you write this book? Because it's, it's different to Ceres Colony Cavalier, uh, which is, I think, it's kind of pretty chronological. This this one seems to be much more episodic. So you want to tell us?
1: Absolutely. I'm, um, Project Starmaker, a, a, well, I didn't expect Ceres Colony Cavalier to be received the way it was. It is still being received, and I still have people reach out to me. Today, I had two people contact me and say they just finished reading it, and the book really opened their eyes, and they were you know, having a hard time processing it. It was life-changing for the way that they're thinking about things that they've experienced. So a lot of people have read Series Colony Cavalier and then immediately contacted me because it connected dots for them. And so because of that and because there was a large, um, there was a great outpouring of people, please write another one. And I didn't really have Uh, you know i have a bunch of short stories a bunch of fragmented memories i really got a lot into series colony cavalier so jackie kenner who i had done my show talks with tony she was my co-host for a year and a half i'd say two years we after you know after you film the show you get to talk how did you know that tell me where'd you learn that and she i told her about the stories that are in the book. And she said this is the story you need to tell but it just doesn't make sense if you don't do series colony cow you know if you don't do the full the big one and she was excited because of things that she'd lived through herself so her own life experiences lined up with things that i was telling her that were a completely different animal and so we got together and did this and it it's a short book it's not you know it's a sequel it's not an equal to the first one it's a short book and it's a collection of stories and i it, it's purposely confusing because the experience of remembering decades ago, several things that have one thing ties to another. Your memory when you when I work with people that are remembering going through, it's never linear. It comes through and they remember and they remember this emotion of say anger randomly. They remember the next time that it was angry and that comes out in the story. So it's not linear. It's very confusing to remember things like this. So Star Maker was put together in a manner that would convey the confusion of remembering. These are very distant memories, very vague for me. So it's very hard for me um, to just rattle it off the top of my head, the things. These are are very distant memories. But they overlapped with what she had gone through, and they overlapped with what happened to me. And when I really look back on it, after the book was completed, and I look back on the timeline of my life, the events of my life, there really are some good reasons in there why I may be different than other people that have been through the programs in the same exact way that I have been. Um, and the the story that happened in Project Starmaker may explain why I'm the one that remembers and is here talking about it. So um, we got it out. And it was that the other thing was that it demonstrated consciousness, the value of consciousness. So we are made of several. Versions of us, you know, we have a physical body. We have a uh, energetic body around us. We have a conscious body um, Before I get into before I get out to woo in there But it seems that the ETS value have a great deal of technology based around consciousness and splitting it and using it in a way uh, To be productive and I believe the star maker project that I part participated in was behind in schedule and uh, was going badly and so they arranged to borrow or to purchase consciousness of people that were already slaves through a technology. And so the existence that I went into when I worked on the project was a more watered down existence. Um, we were kept as an adolescent. I was a non-human. And uh, it was the consciousness that they took from me and used us to, to operate machinery and, and work on building a macro object in space, a star in space. So there was some science around it. There was a lot that I was unaware of. Um, it was It's written from the experience of, some, of an employee, you know, not a manager. And uh, I wasn't treated very badly during that time. It was a completely different experience than Ceres Colony and, or, or Mars or any of the others. So even though I was technically slave labor, I wasn't um, abused badly at all. And um, it was a project. And then it, it concluded, and I woke right back up on series in the hallway which was in series colony. cavalier. Uh, okay, well, there's a little snippet there. So the book actually I, I got to work out what page so you'd read the book and then read to a certain page and then read to Project Starmaker and then go back to Series Colony. Um would would be the correct order of it. But when you talk about these linear things, it's very hard it's very hard to um work them out in, in you know, put dates to them.
0: Well, that's very interesting what you just uh, said there that uh, there's a kind of trade in consciousness or some people might call it soul extract. I mean, that that someone's consciousness or soul extract can be sold. I mean, if they're a slave, that they can be sold and used uh, in some other projects. So, you know, here you are on, on Ceres colony. Uh, you're a slave. You're working with the Dark Fleet, Merchant Marine or the Nuck And in the middle of that, Uh, I I assume you weren't given a choice or anything. You were just told, um, you know, we're going to kind of like get your consciousness to spend 10 years in another place and you'll spend 10 years there and then you come back. So you want to explain how that happened, that, you know, here you are, you're a slave uh, worker on Ceres and then you're like told that you're going to be traded uh, as part of some other project run by some other extraterrestrials for uh, a 10-year period. So you want to tell us about that?
1: Yeah, they were very matter-of-fact about it. The day we woke up and I was brought to a place on Ceres Colony and they lined us up, 50 guys maybe, and they were very matter-of-fact. There was not any kind of briefing, uh, just you're going to go here. And and it was not until the last minute, uh, until I was waited in line, and it wasn't until I got to the front of the line that I was told what was going on, and um, we were told originally that if you were taken, that the, prog- the the science behind what brought us there on series for the twenty year period was a ma- was maxed out, and um, that uh, if you went any longer than that, it greatly increased your risk of uh, mental mentally being damaged putting me when you put back being mentally handicapped when they did put you back so we were how could you squeeze in another 10 years was the big thing you can't do this you know when they were lying putting me in the chair to begin the process and um but they said it was a different technology so apparently the series colony corporation had made a deal uh, with an extraterrestrial race on the far side of what i believe is the uh, m51 whirlpool galaxy well the far galaxy of that of that space in uh, that area of space which had a low star formation uh, rate of star formation and they had made a deal and they had the technology to accommodate our consciousness because it was a non-human existence and it was kept at an adolescent uh, mentality so it was a very watered down version of us and um, we were told it was going to be another 10 years and guys were coming in and out of the chair and they eventually canceled it um they didn't complete it but the deal the deal that the series Colony Corporation had made for us to participate, um, they acquired a new technology and they were very happy with what they got. So they acquired a new science or a new form of technology that they were able to develop. So it was very profitable for them uh, to use us in that way. And, um, you know, according to the way that they, the way that it played out, I don't want to give I don't want to. Um, you know, give away the reveal. So there's a bit of a reveal at the end of the book, and I don't want to give that away. But it seems like um, that may have been what has been following me the entire time and why my life events have been slightly different than others like me.
0: Right. So this is very interesting. So in the middle of a 20 and back, uh, you are now just involuntarily conscripted or, or pushed into uh, an, an additional 10 years where your consciousness goes off, spends 10 years in this uh, other galaxy in a star maker uh, project, and you come back after that 10 years and you just resume. So, I mean, is there any kind of, you know, when you resumed, I mean, your your soul, your consciousness is the same. Your Well, I mean, I guess it's... Maybe you want to walk us through, you know, what's what's changed? Is it just that you go there, you do your 10 years, you come back, your your physical body or your your clone body on Ceres hasn't aged because it's only been, I guess, an, an hour or something since you began that 10-year program where your consciousness is transferred and brought back. So, so what has changed in that 10 years? Is it just new memories?
1: So... When I originally woke up, after it was over and I woke up, I had really no memory of what had just happened. I felt incredibly disoriented. I I mean, like dizzy and nauseous and just very disoriented. They let us go back to our bed. They let us go back to our room. We did not have duties afterwards, um, if I remember that correctly. But I was disoriented for quite a while um, afterwards. And I'm still working out. Like, I I work with people. I've talked with you privately. I work with people that are. Assembling memories that feel like they've gone through similar things, and I pay attention to when things happen, the timeline because I think that things that happen in a twenty and back bleed through to your real life as well, and they're cyclical. So by keeping track of when they happen, uh, you can really you can really flesh out some details and see that things are cyclical, and that a lot of people have the same common denominators. The same things keep popping up when I look at when I find an intake event. So for these Project Star Maker. I look at the intake event and I still haven't really narrowed it down to when it began um, but it seems to have lasted longer than the entire than the 20 years so when I look at my timeline um, the 20 the 20 year period was from the age of 10 to 30 but it looks like the starmaker timeline went from uh, 25 to 35 so for five years after it was over like there was still an extension of me out there. And I'm still sorting that out and looking back on my life um, to see what kind of ramifications that has or had on me. There were things that changed, and there seem to be things that are lining up when I look at it, and then multiply it farther into the future. Like I said, it tends to be on cyclical things, uh, and when you look at a timeline, so there are life events. And um, when I when I finish on that, I'll you'll be the first person I let know. Um, But I've been studying things and there seem to be other other aspects of my life in my real life here that lined up with that happening. Um, Like, for instance, I didn't get the memories back until well after 15 years after um, I was 30. So I was 40, I believe. So 12 years, 42. So it was a long there was a long period of time that I before I got my memories back. And uh, because there was still an aspect of me out there and it's hard to determine exactly how long it all it all lasted. Um, but there seems to be a kind of a watering down of somebody's uh, uh, mental effect, fa- emotional and mental faculties while they're taken. In other words, while they're in the 20 and back or while they're elsewhere, their person in the same time seems to have a harder time dealing with emotions and, and mental things, almost like they're not completely whole.
0: So your consciousness is transferred Using some technology that was given to the German Ceres colony, your consciousness is transferred from Ceres to some other galaxy, and you're put into the body of a, an asexual extraterrestrial. So, you want to explain what it felt like waking up in this body that That's, was asexual?
1: It was very disorienting. And we were, it was the same race of them, but we that were in the project you know um twenty or thirty of us were kept at an adolescent age so we did we stopped we were it was after for that whole ten years we were kept at a 13 year old adolescence so we were they were adult versions of the species that were in charge of us, but we were adolescents and I believe that that was another like they used not half of my consciousness you know less of it like a watered down version and um it was very disorienting. I want to say this: that, um, like you said, it was asexual. There were there were, the body was much different than a human body. There was less, far less water. Um, it was a very dry body. There was uh, it, there was blood and everything, but it was less, and um, it just had different abilities to it. And I didn't feel it, the entire time. I didn't really feel at home in my body, and it seemed like energy parts of my body that I have now still existed in that body and didn't really weren't really compatible with it so I still had urges to eat food um, to behave like a human for bio functions like a human but they that body didn't didn't have them. So I had urges for things that didn't exist and I had no memory of where I'd come from that body. I was also, I had amnesia. When I woke up in that body, I had no idea where I'd come from at the time. Uh, they were brand new memories. And so I was trying to sort out who, who and what I was. It wasn't until it was all over before I got the memories back. And even, even now, the memories are very distant.
0: So you're transferred over there. You're now in the body of an adolescent, Asexual extraterrestrial. You've got these adult versions of that extraterrestrial race that's supervising everything. Did Did you ever get to find out anything about who was in control of it all? Was it another group of extraterrestrials? So we were
1: aware that they were so for years. um, We went on and we were working on the project. Uh, We were flying equipment. We were flying machines that were moving tonnage of material in space that had been brought in in an area in a nebula of space where we were beginning to put layer a gravity well by uh, material so they were very concerned with elements that going in at the same at the right time they were layering a uh, gravity well where like a, a very large planet that they were pushing material on but they were layering it in chemically so that they so that when the star ignited it would behave a certain way. So that was the science that it was experimental um, We were doing that and for years it was just um, a day at the office we were unaware really and we were told that we were the dom- the dominant species in that galaxy that there were really that there were other life forms but that our species basically inhabited uh, you know 90% of all the worlds in that galaxy that it was one. It, and we found out over time that we were being lied to, but we we were able to communicate with people that were not in the project. We were be able to communicate with other people, other kids, if you will, in other worlds, and uh, we could say a few words not a, not a full amount of words, but we could say. And over time, we were able to put together uh, kind of a picture of what was going on, and they were clearly lying to us about our situation in in the universe Um, they were telling us things that didn't add up when we were able to cross check with other people across the network and um yeah it's like i said it's a very very distant memory but that was the truth so we um we put it together and we we were on a we were aware that it was going to we were going to be retired at some point that there was going to be a 10-year threshold and we would have to quit we quit working and go back to where we came from and towards the end we realized that that was not their intention, and so um, the there were things that played out in the, in that regard. So uh, it's very hard to believe. Looking back on it now, it's very hard to believe that one species would inhabit an entire galaxy and be dominant over an entire galaxy. But that was what we were told.
0: Well, this uh, process that you describe, where you know you're in these, um, you're trained at that young age, to fly these small glass ball ships and tow rocks to layer them you know, down a gravity well in a certain way so that you could kind of like ignite or start a star. I mean, that's that's, that's quite uh, fascinating. I mean, uh, was it really a star they were trying to create or was it like just forming a planet? Because, um, you yeah, know, well, yeah, explain what difference there so- is.
1: It was a very large project. We were aware that there were several bases around the nebula that were just like ours. So it was a very large base we were on and we were a a, one component of a very large project. So this is something that involved, you know, we were um, 10,000 people or 50,000 people on a project that had millions of people working on it. And it had been going on for decades and it was towards the end. They were behind schedule and that's hence. They acquired us, our consciousness, uh, of people from elsewhere to come in and assist the, to give, bring the project back on schedule. They were building a small star, and the idea was that the experiment was that the star would be stable in its first 100,000 years or uh, you know, very early in its life. So when they, they had built stars before, and they were very unstable for a million years. So they couldn't put a ring around it or build habitats around the star that could harness its energy. They had to wait a long time. So they wanted to, that was what they were trying to do by bringing in special elements and a time so that the star would ignite and then be stable immediately. And, uh, so that was the purpose. That's what we were told. And that was the purpose of this particular experiment. It was a small star. So, um, You know, if I couldn't give it a size, but more like a white dwarf size star, like the minimum size. And they were trying to get this star to ignite and to be immediately stable so that they could build rings around it. I was we were told that the main product of the Bureau, we called it the Bureau because it was a different word they used. But for the writing of the book, I just named it the Bureau. We were told that their main product that the Bureau built was not stars, but rings around stars. So or habitats around stars. That they would they would build and then civil entire civilizations would move in and live because the the energy they were harnessing the free energy from stars um, so the if they could in a in a galaxy that had very low star forming numbers compared to like a like a full spiral galaxy a healthy galaxy this one was an irregular shaped galaxy that had a low uh, amount of stars being created so they were trying to supplement that number there was plenty of material. But it wasn't gathering together the way um, that a spiraled galaxy does. Um, so that was that was the purpose of what they were doing, and basically um, the size, the scope of, of the project. It was very. There was a great deal of people involved.
0: Well, well, that's fascinating what you, what you just described. Because I mean, clearly at this point in our planetary civilization, you know, we we think in terms of well. Uh, maybe one day, you know, our civilization will make it to Mars and and terraform Mars, and you know, maybe we can do that to other places like the Moon. But you're know, you're saying that uh, with some of the advanced extraterrestrials, uh, you know, it's 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 well, I guess uh, it's star making. I mean, you you create a star, a small star, and it's very interesting that you said that they create a ring around that star, and that ring becomes a habitat. Uh, for the the civilizations so you yeah, know this raises well so so really what was their goal to kind of like get that gravity well where all of this material was being pushed down to kind of like to ignite to become like a, a small star and then build a ring around it
1: right so what I, when i say by unstable when they they had built stars in the past and the stars the region of space where it's giving off energy would be unstable so the star would have a a, a, an event in the distance of the ring and then it would go back down and it would take million a a few million years for it to stabilize and stay the same size when a star was born after a few hundred thousand years it would grow in size or energy output and then it would go they were unstable so they were trying to build a star that would immediately be stable so that they could immediately put a ring around it much faster from the time that it ignited and they didn't have to wait for it to stabilize because it's very dangerous in the first. Like, and like I said, it's a great deal of time, a million years, a few million years for it to stabilize. So the, the project was about building a small star that would stabilize in a very short time, a few hundred thousand years. And they could immediately put a habitat around it so that they could build many of them. They were The idea was to convert a lot of the materials. They had a lot of raw material in that galaxy uh, that was in darkness. That they could convert and build stars everywhere they the idea was to expand out and well i don't want to ruin i don't want to ruin the end of it
0: yeah sure um now this raises a very interesting uh, question because uh in our own solar system we have jupiter we have saturn and uh, i think neptune as well that all have rings around them and some say that both jupiter and saturn were Failed, uh, failed stars. So that raises the question: Did someone try this on Jupiter and Saturn to kind of like ignite those planets and create stars? And and both of them have very prominent rings. Saturn's rings, are, you know, can be seen from many millions of miles away. Uh, so, what what do you think of uh, that possibility?
1: I've always wondered if that what. Um... It's clear when you look at Deimos and Phobos around Mars that there's no, there's not a really positive, there's not a really logical explanation for why those moons are locked in orbit around Mars. So they are, they clearly lend to to look like an artificial uh, effort that put those moons in orbit. There's really not a lot of um, research. There's not a plausible theory right now on how those got captured. They're too small, and their orbits are decaying at at a rate. It just doesn't. There's a lot of math around those. It looks like those were deliberately placed. Um, When I look at the Saturn rings, uh, I've always wondered that myself, um, but I really don't have any insight into that. I will tell you that the difference between our solar system and the system that we had built, the the project StarMaker took place, is it was in a nebula. So it was a very dark area. You couldn't see any other stars nearby. It was a very gaseous um, place to begin with. So it was a nebula that had a lot of material to begin a gravity well. In the first place, so our region of space is um, relatively clean. Uh, if you were going to build a star, I think it would take a lot more effort to move the material here. So, for that reason, I don't know. Um, I don't have a lot of insight into that. So, I, I would just say the difference is in Project Star Maker. That place was um, a very cluttered region of space, and you couldn't see. You couldn't see anything. It was pitch dark. There were no stars and there was no light in there because it was in a cloud.
0: Well, there's a book uh, by a former NASA scientist, uh, Norman Berggren. It's called The Ringmakers of Saturn. And he was putting out the idea that Saturn's rings were artificially created uh, by extraterrestrials and that uh, these were used for various purposes i mean clearly uh, creating a habitat like a some kind of dyson sphere around saturn is is a possibility which is it sounds like that's what project star maker was trying to create so with saturn our planet and the uh, our planet in the solar system and the rings around it uh, this could have been uh this is the remnants it might be the remnants of or still could be a functioning extraterrestrial civilization that that lives on the rings of what was once a star or maybe it's a failed star, but nevertheless uh, the heat put off by Saturn is sufficient uh, to heat up that environment where the rings are so that you you can actually have a civilization um, flourishing there.
1: I've actually uh only recently seen that saturn gives off the most energy of anything in the solar system that saturn is gives off the most energy uh more energy than in than i don't want to say the sun but there was there's a stat there that saturn gives off the most energy of any body in the solar system so that would make a lot of sense that um that they would build the i think mainstream science when they talk about the rings of saturn or anything like that they They are overwhelmed but they're still thinking in terms of cost or size and say there's no way that they would build something that big and when my testimony in project star maker you know obviously is they're building something much bigger but when we look back in history i I think um when they settled america and began with the railroad tracks they would have never imagined you know hundreds of highways that connect from one side from coast to coast either so the amount of work we've done building just our road system is could be an b- example of how uh, unimaginable some macro objects are that are probably already being built nearby. Uh, when I In Ceres Colony, uh, we were aware that uh, in between the Earth and the next star that there's a very large space station by advanced extra, extraterrestrials that is there. And we did visit it on uh, a couple occasions. But it's a very advanced space station, and it's it's... In between, uh, it's a couple of light years out, but it's in between our star and the next one, and uh, it was huge. So there are there are definitely massive space stations, not only in between the stars, but in our solar system as well that we were aware of, um, that are very hard to detect from the from our uh, uh, you know that the astronomy on the Earth is is very hard to detect. So macro objects i think are just a logical conclusion of societies that are not oppressing each other over energy consumption so um we like i said we have been we have been sold this idea that things are too expensive to do and yet big things keep getting built uh in the world so i think i think there's a real facade over what's possible to build and what's not
0: when i think of uh the Saturn's rings and who built them. What comes to mind is the Anunnaki. Now I know there have been several sources that have come out and said that uh, Saturn was actually the headquarters for the Anunnaki, which which would make sense um, that if you wanted to run the entire solar system, Saturn would be a a good place, and you know maybe. Uh, the energy it's giving off is a great way to to power up your your ships. So, um, if if Saturn was the home base of the Anunnaki, um, then we have something kind of analogous to what was happening in this far distant galaxy. Because uh, there, you described how there's a star maker project where they use slaves. The Anunnaki they are known to have used slaves. Uh, they, you know, their their first set of slaves, the Agigi, uh they they rebelled uh, because they were exploited, and so they, and that's why one of the principal reasons why the humans were created to replace this kind of like um, lesser caste of the Anunnaki called the Agigi. So, uh, with you know, just to me, it just kind of seems to be a pattern that. You know, some of these advanced extraterrestrial civilizations uh, that they will use slave workers uh, for these kind of large planetary scale projects or stellar projects, whether it's to terraform a planet, whether it's to um, you know create an artificial star, that they will use slaves to do the repetitive, boring work.
1: So... Um... The word slavery is a misnomer, uh, not a misnomer. Let me say this right. I'm trying to choose my words correctly here. This is a very big subject. It's a very emotional subject for a lot of people. Some people understand slavery today better than others and the effects of it. Uh, So slavery is a very uh, loaded word. Um, But we don't look at animals as slaves. and We don't look at, um, you know, the i live in an area of michigan that still has a great amish population people that are still living without modern technology they're still using horses they have the you know you see the horses going down the road and they plow i can drive by and i see them plowing fields with the old style and um we don't we've never really considered the the horses or the or the donkey as a slave uh slavery we consider equals people or people that are just like us the same species uh, to be slaves. So that's, that's why it's a very loaded emotionally thing. But these, a, these ETs, the the missing, the missing narrative is that they live longer, they have, they have access to great genetics, genetic technologies, and so they see themselves as above us and that we are more like a workhorse. And so the slavery isn't as loaded of a deal as what we're hearing about it. So this is a concept and I'm not giving it a pass. I'm not saying for what it is, but we have to understand that there are there are civilizations and there are extraterrestrials that see us as a lower life form. And so they, at, and because of where we're at technologically and because of where we're at spiritually and how we're being held down by ourselves ultimately and probably by um, influence from extraterrestrials that, um, we're held down we're held down into a certain level so that we can be used to this way and that's a to me when you think about this secrecy over a millennia uh, of their existence this would explain it so that they could come by and use us for projects like such as this so uh, i don't want to give a any kind of excuse or any kind of uh what is that um the the syndrome where you where you begin to like your captor i forget what that's called but stockholm, I don't, syndrome. stockholm syndrome i don't want to seem like i'm a case of that i just try to like i said i always look back at what happened to me you know after you get past oh, after i got over the pain and the anger and the sadness and the realization of what happened to me and i salvaged some happiness out of my life in my real life i look back on it and try to ask why why do they do this why how you know people go you can go to the religious well how could God let this happen and I've always uh, put hours and hours behind it and the thing is it keeps returning to logical things we don't think twice about the workhorse that we have for for hundreds of years we use horses for everything they were our slaves we have dogs in our house that are our security system it's a form of slavery and so ETs are doing the same thing. And like I said, over time, as we as we start to close the gap between advanced extraterrestrials and ourselves, as we begin to understand our consciousness and the way that it manipulates uh, reality, that our consciousness is actually very important, that we are more than our bodies, we're more than just one lifetime, and that we are worthy of the stars and the, our place in the universe. As we close that gap, slavery is just going to fall to the wayside. And, you know, as we become more equal. Um, that's my and that's just my personal opinion. That's that's where I'm at after what I've experienced. Um, but when you look at it and look at it, why and it's got this terrible connotation. Slavery is a is a crime, I believe. Um, but we just have to look. We just have to look at where we are in our own development and keep keep looking forward. Slavery will eventually boil off and be worthless i believe
0: well you know there's a very interesting kind of de- developmental process here with advanced extraterrestrial species that uh, will create worker races uh, that are asexual who don't have the power to reproduce and and to use them as kind of like you know, slave labor or, or as workhorses uh, to do these kind of like very boring projects now I remember reading Dolores Cannon's uh, book series, *The Convoluted Universe*, and and I remember her describing the memories of um, several of the clients that she worked with that described living as these asexual extraterrestrials, and and their descriptions kind of matched what you describe in *Project Star Maker*. That you know what they remembered was uh, uh, that. It was pretty boring. Uh, it there was a lot of kind of like suicidal um, efforts, uh, just because uh, it was su- such an unsatisfying existence, and and people just didn't enjoy uh, that life. Uh, it was just full of monotony. So whoever created them, uh, you know, whether it was the Anunnaki or some other extraterrestrial civilization, they you know they use. Their knowledge of genetics to create a, an asexual worker drone that will do all of this monotonous work, and that, but in order to for that drone to function, it needs to have some consciousness inhabit it, and the consciousness that goes in uh, finds it really tedious and boring, and and becomes you know suicidal. So, so I thought that was interesting because it matched what you described in uh, your book.
1: it's my you're blowing my mind here because i'm completely unaware of that information i'm unaware of the first book the ringmakers of saturn and i'm you know i'm familiar with dolores cannon her work obviously and suzanne spooner is a friend of mine i'm very aware of that but i had no idea of those testimonies whatsoever so i believe that in the beginning if if people that have followed my story in the beginning they asked my permission they said we need to get your permission and i don't think that that's because it's a law that if I would have said no, that they would have thrown me back. I believe that they get your permission because it lowers your chance of suicide throughout the 20 years, throughout the years of being. T- so people that give their permission are more likely to not suicide. And people that don't give their permission in the beginning are likely to attempt suicide throughout their throughout the time. And I think that's part of, part of the reason they do that. So I'll give this away then, um, since this is where we're at. Um, in the book, suicide was what happened. So all of that line in the hallway of guys that were being taken into the Star Maker project, a great deal of them committed suicide. And that's why it was canceled. So instead of 100, you know, they had contracted for X amount, a 1,000 men, uh, but they only got a few hundred because the the number of suicide was huge and they canceled the project. But the down payment of the technology that they had traded... Was a huge success so the series colony corp even though they didn't get all they didn't complete the deal they didn't give all the men and all of the technology that they had agreed to acquire didn't come back they still acquired enough technology to advance their science greatly and so it was a win for them and so many the prom on the back end of it that they can't they eventually they had to cancel it they didn't complete the deal So uh, that does match with what you're saying. I will say this about the asexual existence. I still had the energy, sexual energy there without the body for it. So I knew something, I knew, even though I had been told a false story or a story that that encompassed my existence, I knew that something was very different about my existence, so. I don't know how appropriate that is to talk about greatly. I did cover it in the book some, but I'm saying that the, basically the energies of my existence as a human were still there, even though I was not in a human body. Um, and that it was it was it led to it wasn't, I, I guess, other than boredom restlessness versus boredom. So it was a boring existence, but it wasn't like I said, it wasn't full of uh, abuse or anything like that. It was more restless than anything else.
0: Well, what I find kind of like very helpful in you know what you've described in your book and what we've been talking about is that it gives us a little bit more clarity into what it was that the Anunnaki were doing um, presumably two hundred thousand years ago when they created modern Homo sapiens that they first experimented, they created these asexual beings, and and that experiment failed. and and then Enki, uh, came along and decided that well, for this project, this uh, genetic experiment of humanity to create, uh, you know we will create male and female and we'll endow them with a certain degree of knowledge uh, so that that way they can like aspire to something better. And uh, then you're not going to have the problem of like these asexual beings that are created as a worker race, but just, you know, out of boredom and out of depression that they commit suicide, that, you know, when you create sexual beings that have the capability of reproducing and also accumulating knowledge so that therefore they can aspire to something better, then you're going to have a much happier and much more motivated workforce.
1: Love does make the world go round. Uh, It does make (laughs) life worth living, so I it would be a you know i'd like i'm a very optimistic person after what i've been through always but i gotta say that without um loving relationships life would be very bland very tasteless you know overall just um, i guess that's i guess that's true so i'm unaware of a lot of the historical references like you you're somebody that studies all the accounts of you know the ancient aliens and the origins of mankind and I know Elena shares a lot of great info on that, but it's not my wheelhouse. So um, it's, um, I don't want to say shocking, but it's surprising to me that my book that I wrote actually dovetails into what you've been studying elsewhere, because I don't follow it. I mean, yours is one of the only shows that I watch, and I don't watch every episode. I love to keep up on JP's info. I I just love hearing his stuff and everybody else that you've had on. But I don't study, um, for a large part, the because I don't like to um, convolute my own information. So I don't study a lot of other information A lot in the community. I don't watch every show that comes along.
0: Okay. So one of the things that I, th- I think that is kind of very helpful here is uh, w- with, with the creation of um, humans, the human body, th- this avatar that we live in uh, endowed with these abilities, uh we we can evolve we can grow and that is helpful for our kind of sanity whereas these asexual workers uh they they really don't last long or they're very unhappy and and suicidal and so forth and and if you transfer consciousness i mean it must be must have been kind of like really difficult for you uh because your consciousness was transferred into this asexual body but you still have some kind of soul memory or awareness of your existence as a human and you felt the, the sexual energies. And so that might, must have been, would have compounded what was already a very challenging situation.
1: There, there was a lot of disorientation and it's almost like I was in a body. I, you know, I hate to put it in a way, you know, I hate to put it in these terms but it felt like I was somebody that had seven chakras that was in a five chakra body. So that's a, and so like a body that I don't fit in. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the experience. And as a result, there was a restlessness about it. There was, there were, it was restless. So um, the other thing is that they had me- methods of discipline that were different. There was a light they would shine that would irritate you. And that was the, ma- you know, when you were misbehaving, the light would come on and they'd, and the computer would say, stop, sit, you know, behave, go to bed, time for bed, and you would be irritated. And that was something that was unique to that physiology. It's something that wouldn't work on us. Uh, so their physiology, they had, that was, that was a technology that was there. It wasn't inhumane or anything. It was, you know, it was kind of, um, it was just a disciplinary thing. And uh, it was just a different existence. Like I said, the amount of water, it, we didn't shower in water we showered in a a light and like ultrasonic uh shower that shook you and uh it was just a different existence it was something and after after being human you know naturally being human you knew that these things were missing uh there was it was just i couldn't put my finger on it at the time couldn't put my head around it at the time but it was things like that you know and I think everybody knows that there are things everybody has some kind of radar that tells them things are wrong when they don't know what is wrong exactly. And that's exactly what that felt like. So and it was 10 years. uh, It was supposed to be 10 years. But at the end of it, they alluded to another 10 years that it was something that could go perpetually for a long time. And so that's what I think was the driving factor in the mass uh, amount of people that participated suicide. I think that they were promising 10 years, but decided they were going to keep us longer. Without, again, I don't want to give everything up.
0: Sure. Well, it makes sense. I mean, if uh, these workers are designed to operate in a nebula which doesn't have stars and there's not much light, then a concentrated burst of light would, be, would overwhelm the body. And uh, so, you know, that would make sense how that was chosen as the way to punish workers that didn't do what they were supposed to do or meet their quota. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, um, it wasn't so much about for that, but like I said, there was a restlessness where I wanted to get out. And there were times when you'd throw a fit, or just you know, we were adolescents. I was, I was at the level of a twelve or thirteen year old boy. That was my mindset, and I saw the world that way. I did. We were not allowed to really progress, and so I think it took less consciousness as a result um, to do that. But that was, that was the existence that I ran. We were, and we stayed that way. It, we we didn't really age. In the way that you would think over the over that period of time.
0: So you want to tell me a little bit about your your co-author, uh, Jackie Kerner, because there's you described one incident, uh, a drowning incident, which I thought was very interesting. Where, uh, so yeah, why don't you tell us about that drowning incident and and how Jackie played a role in that?
1: So there's a lot of um, strangeness around how I met Jackie Kenner and the work we did. So, and it even goes back to the time when I was originally working with you. Um, I told you before that you know you and I had parted ways. You said I couldn't work with you. And then I was visited by a being that's asked me what was my intention of coming forward. It turns out that at the same exact time she was visited by a being as well. And her entire life changed. She was in uh, the corporate world. And Jackie, I know if you're watching this and I wanna give out a lot of your personal info, but she was in the corporate world and doing quite well. She's a very freakishly brilliant person. She had, a, I believe, a master's degree by the age of 21 and went uh, up the corporate ladder just as fast. And she changed everything. Uh, she had psychic gifts uh, emerge immediately after that and walked away from the corporate world and went back home to, uh, to her home state. And she's a psychic medium. And she teaches that. She does courses and She provides that, and she's professional at it and and makes a good living doing that. Um, But at the same time that I was contacted, she was contacted, and then we ran into each other. And my story, she saw me, I believe, when I was on uh, one of the networks. She saw one of my shows and immediately had to contact me because she's had it has her own memories to reconcile and she was unaware of uh the time dilation the same way that when i saw randy kramer's info how it explained to me what happened to me so she put that together contacted me and we became fast friends We, we we still are friends and um as we spoke with each other we began to realize that there were many similarities when i was a child i believe i was seven at the time my family had been coming up north of Michigan in the summers and camping and such. And we went camping, and I was swimming with my sister. And I did not know, well, I was on a raft with my sister. I did not know how to swim. And um, we got knocked over. Some boys were flirting with my sister. We were very young. And, you know, I was seven. I think she was 12. And um, whatever boys were flirting, they knocked us over. And the, the girls swam back to the raft, and I was sinking and drowning. And I, I was not kicking and I was in a panic and I was five feet underwater and dying and literally drowning. And I saw someone go, you know, I closed my eyes and and I saw, heard someone say, just relax, stop, and just kick. Uh, and I forget the, I forget the exact wording, but when I got up, so I did. And I, I, that was the first time in my life I really swam and I got up to the top and my dad came and got me out. And when we got back to shore, I said, where's Jackie? And my sister said who's jackie who are you talking about that's something that i never forgot because she my sister kind of picked on me uh for years after that so where's jackie where's jackie and fast forward to after when her and i met each other and we were experimenting with different meditation forms of meditation which i teach in my um my patreon groups uh the tier three and the remote i have a remote viewing group and these are forms of things that i remember from inyokern that the techniques of meditation when I was in uh, some of the early programs in the beginning of my 20 minutes. so I hope I'm not being too confusing. She went back and saw that instant. So she went back in time one day when we were meditating on that and said the whole, and I hope I'm saying this, I hope I'm saying all this info right because I'm trying to speak for her uh, perspective as well. But it was something from the future. Like she went back and actually affected that, that scene in my life, when I was drowning, and uh, when we when we kind of unpacked that, I went, "Oh my God, you're you're the Jackie that was in that that was doing that." So it seems like yeah, the more that we get into consciousness, when you get into deep meditation and deep uh, the remote viewing and even manifesting, like synchronized man- manifesting uh, meditations, that uh, consciousness doesn't pay attention to what time it is that you can reach back into the past and manipulate time and in the future and manipulate events that are going to happen. And that was something that, um, we, we discovered that we were kind of shocked about it was like something that we did in the future that affected the past. Um, uh, many other things have come forward, uh, you know, and like I said, the project star maker, the stories inside star maker, um, was something that she was very, um, very motivated to get out into a book form after series Colony Cavalier because it is something that be, uh, the stories, the things that I remembered really punctuated what she had known as well by working with many other people in their own personal ways. So that was what she wanted to do. And she she put, um, what, four or five chapters of her own story into Project Starmaker, her own short stories. And uh, they've been well-received. I've, I've really had great reviews. Some people really only want to get to the space Story. They want they want lasers and spaceships and uh, not the spiritual stuff, and some people are really really um, after they read it once and then they go but they want to read it again because it's dense information, and uh, they find out that the spiritual stuff is really the really the core of the book. Well, really the value of the book.
0: Yeah, that that was a fascinating incident because it does kind of raise this issue of our uh, time. That time is not linear. Everyone says time isn't linear and and so in that incident that you described you know clearly Jackie from the future that you met uh, somehow rescued you as a seven-year-old while you were while you were drowning and so I mean a lot of people will say well how how can that be possible I mean um, if if you had drowned uh, she would never have met you so how could she ever you know want to go back and rescue you but yet so it, it just raises the question well if if time isn't linear, and that it all goes by consciousness, is it, is it really th- when we, as conscious beings, are at our more kind of like developed, mature state, that we have a greater influence over our states of being when we were kind of like still in the evolving process? Because clearly, as a seven-year-old, you're, you're still evolving, but as a as a forty or fifty you know, fifty-year-old when you met Jackie, you know your your consciousness is much more fully developed. So maybe that has a greater influence. That your that that our future, our future self, can have a greater influence on our lives than we could ever dream of. That that we think, well, the things I do now influence the future, but it's actually the other way around. It's it's the future that influences the present.
1: I've often thought that there may be an anti-time that there may be a car that we may be experiencing it in the forward direction, but our consciousness before we incarnated, may experience it from the front going backward so that we like, I always felt like our lives are a choose your own adventure and we look at the entirety of it and we get to make our choices before we begin. I believe there's a life agreement and these are spiritual things. So they're personal and, um, you know, everybody, I think I think everybody should come to their own conclusion about what they feel like about their own life, you know, spiritually. But I've always felt that there is a permission, and I felt from the flights in Peru, which is doesn't make sense, but is covered in the book, from my time when I was brought near death over and over again in Peru, I, um, you know, I, I that's what forms my opinion of incarnation from, from what I experienced in that. And I feel that we choose our life, we choose... We choose benchmarks, things that are destiny, and then we do have free will in between those benchmarks in our life. And um, I think that my life has changed greatly. Like, if I wouldn't have wrote the first book, my life has completely deviated from the direction it was going after the book was released. I think I think it was a major change in my the direction that my life was going. And... Um, it may, I may or may not have written it. There was a time when I actually consciously said, look, I got to write this book or I'm not going to, I got to finish it. And we cut out a lot of things and just got it done. Um, so I, you know, I'm, am I to the, do I know exactly everything about that, how that works time and the consciousness? No. And am I gotten to the bottom of it? No. But, um, there, I'm not the only one that has stories like this. And there's a lot of, and we're getting them more and more. We're getting people. Uh, the world is different consciously now than it was 20, 30 years ago. It's much different, and more and more people are waking up to know that they are greater. Uh, that the mental facu- faculty and your consciousness does a lot more than what uh, we believe believe that it did. And so it's just becoming mainstream, and I think that's part of the process. Uh, you know, when we interact with extraterrestrials. We are going to have to face the fact that psychic ability, um, ESP, that these things, conscious, advanced conscious ability, is the norm. It's not the exception. It's the rule, and that everybody has them. Everybody has their own unique version of the same gifts, and uh, this is what this is what also going to be. This is also a condition of disclosure. And, uh, so I think it's I think it's great news. I I, I think that science spirituality and uh, wh- what do you call it all the, the truthers the psychic phenomenon and extraterrestrials are all in the same exact boat and they we've believed that they're different subjects but they're not
0: it's going to be an amazing thing to watch the whole planet wake up to the truth of all of these things and people that have been skeptical will suddenly, have to kind of like reevaluate very, very quickly, (laughs) you know, years of skepticism and trash talking others that have been describing these very things that are being revealed. So I know you're going to be uh, uh, one of the presenters at the Galactic Spiritual Informers Connection as, as, as I am. So uh, can you give a teaser as to what you're going to be talking about there in October in in, um, Orlando?
1: Sure. I'm going to recap. I, I'm not sure what kind of time slot Danny will give me, but um. Bless her, I know she's doing her best with everything. And those girls that put that conference together are just absolutely dynamos and extremely talented. That conference is built well um, from the the top down. I plan on representing the new information. So I'll get you guys a picture of that plane that we found. And I have a a few other um, things planned in between now and then, a couple trips planned that I'm going to do. And I may have some good information to present from those. I'm going to present uh, on the project Starmaker. I will talk about that briefly and I'm going to talk about the company that I started in lieu- in the wake of last year's galactic spiritual informers connection conference, where I made, um, you know, uh, where I realized I, I pitched the learning soft, uh, the le- decision-based learning that I remembered from my time on Mars. So I went to school while I was in the space program up there. And the method of learning was much different than what we have down here. And I said, I always said, look, please, somebody take this and run with this. Our education system is in uh, dire straits. And it fell on me. Some, everybody said, well, why don't you just do it? So I've started a company, and I'm going to go over the basics of that and where we're at. We've been working very hard. It's what I do full-time now. And um, we're working very hard at it, and it's very promising. And it's basically active, decision-based learning. And we're starting with a preschool curriculum. I'll get you guys some cartoons we're working on to show in the, uh, while I'm on stage there and how that's working and basically how the, how the logic of it all works. And uh, it's very promising, the education system. Uh, the more I research into it, um, it's kind of the whole problem and the whole cure. So when you talk about you can't fix people that are grown up, but you can teach the children to be fixed in the beginning. So it's like I said, it's the entire problem. And it's the entire cure. So I, I've got lofty goals for that. But if I can contribute anything. And the idea is that we, I use this system that I remembered from my time on Mars being retrained to be ship maintenance. And uh, shave some time off what a normal student has to learn the same thing. And if I can shave 5, 10, 20% off of learning curriculum. And uh, slow down for the kids that struggle and speed up for the kids that are whiz, whizzes. Um, It'll be far more efficient and a better experience to learn the basics of life that we do, and uh, we're looking into some industrial versions, industrial applications as well, and with it. So it's a very huge subject, and it fell in my lap, and that's what I've been working on. So I will present on that as well, and I'm looking forward to hanging out with you guys and. Danny, Elena, Chris, and John Charles. I can't wait. And there's new testimonies, Corinna and Melanie. I can't wait to give everybody a big hug there. Anybody that comes out, I'm going to bring a clicker and count all my hugs and uh, try to set the record this year. But I can't wait to see all you guys again. It's going to be a great time. Magical. It's absolutely magical when we're all together.
0: Yeah, I think you got the record for last year, so you, you probably want to hold on to that title. Um, so, Project Star Maker, uh, where do people go to get that? And if they also want uh, Sarah's Colony Cavalier, or where, where can they get these books?
1: Sure, they're on Amazon. And, you know, I come up on Amazon now, but on com, which I have in my name tag there, is my website. So, you can email me there. There are memory courses, I book courses there. There are links to your, our original. ExoPolitics, the very first interview I ever did on exopolitics there's links to my patreon show talks with Tony which I have live groups i meet in groups quite a bit now in zoom calls uh, we do I do a remote viewing class remote viewing group where we target things it's very astonishing we beat we beat the odds every single week um, there is a, a meditation group and then my shows that I my, my show that's behind a, a paywall so that it doesn't get um, deleted like a lot of shows did of you. We all had trouble with content being deleted. So that's my Patreon. But there are also links to both books on the website as well.
0: Well, I want to thank you, Tony, for coming on ExoPolitics today and, and telling us about uh, these experiences in your new book, Project Star Maker, which I do recommend people to to get and to just like connect more of the puzzle pieces by listening or reading about Tony's amazing experiences on Ceres and in this uh, distant nebula. So thank you, Tony.
1: Thank you. Uh absolute honor to be here. The truth is much stranger than fiction, and our minds have to open up to, to get it all in there. So we all have a lot of growth to do, and the future is very
0: bright. You have been listening to ExoPolitics Today with Dr. Michael Sala. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to this channel Join or start a conversation in the comments. Take the time to explore the vast library of best-selling books, webinars, and podcasts by Dr. Sala. Visit exopoliticstoday.com.